John's whole life was to point people to Jesus, dear friends. It's our job as well is to point people to Jesus. We need to repent of our sins. We need to be washed clean. We need to turn our lives around and live holy, godly lives. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us back to the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So who fulfilled this prophecy in the New Testament? Here's David with the conclusion of his message, John the Baptizer. John really did take his Nazarite vow seriously. The Bible tells us that he wore like a leather belt and like camel's hair uh, jackets. He had probably wild hair, maybe something that looked like an afro today. And his diet basically consisted of locusts and honey. So he got his protein from insects and he got his sugar fix from honey. I guess that what, that's what gave him energy. And when he began his public ministry, um, he just had one basic message and here it was. Repent, repent, change your life. And amazingly, as he started preaching that message, hundreds and thousands started coming to him. They were convicted of their sin, and then John began baptizing them in water as a way of an outward evidence of their sins being washed away. Now, later, John pokes his finger in the eye of King Herod, who stole his brother's beautiful wife to be his wife, and John the Baptist found that immoral and ungodly and said so, and you know, Herod's new wife didn't like it one bit, and she plotted and schemed with Salome, her uh, child, to have John the Baptist's head put on a platter. Well, she dances before Herod, and you know how men are, man. When they have some wine and they have scantily clad women before them, they'll just give in to anything. So he agrees and ultimately has John's head served to his wife on a platter. Uh, John not afraid to confront power. John not afraid to walk in the ways of the Lord, and that's a perfect example of him. Now, his relationship with Jesus is very interesting, and you see in Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 14, that Jesus actually calls John the Baptist Elijah. He says that John the Baptist is Elijah the forerunner, referred to in Malachi, the one who would come before the anointed one, the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus. So the Jews wondered when Elijah would come Jesus says, Elijah has come in John the Baptist. He is the forerunner with all of that background information. Now, let's go to the Gospel of John and pick up the verses that we left last time we were together in John the first chapter, verses six through eight, a parenthesis of that great prologue talking about who Jesus is. John writes this message. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, and that him is Jesus. 
He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the evangelist, the writer of the Gospel of John, pauses and gives a couple few verses in the middle of the prologue about John the baptizer because, as you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, Josephus, one of the great historians of that day wrote a lot about John the baptizer. He was really known. He must have attracted huge crowds. So John the evangelist, the writer of this gospel, pauses to make sure that he says that I'm not John the baptizer, but John the baptizer as well was not the light. He said so. His purpose was to point people to the light, to Jesus, so that they would come and have faith in him. Also, as John the evangelist moved through his first 18 verses, he pauses as well in verse 15 and says, John bore witness about Jesus and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John the evangelist makes sure that everybody knows that this well-known figure, John the baptizer, makes it clear that Jesus was before him, but not in birth. We just saw that John the Baptist was birthed six months before Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's acknowledging Jesus was with God in the beginning, in eternity, as the world was created. John the Baptist is noting that Jesus was equal with the Father, and Jesus was before him in rank and position as the second person of the Godhead. So we see John the Evangelist saying that about John the Baptizer. Now let's move to verse 19 and the verses in John about John the Baptizer. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Well, John again was attracting huge crowds with this message of repent with his attire and the way he lived with the Nazarite vow, again, which was an Old Testament vow of people taken when they wanted to draw very close to God, only eating honey and locusts. His message was drawing hundreds, maybe thousands of people. So the religious leaders came to him and asked the question, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He made it very clear, I am not the light. I am not the Christ. I am not the anointed one. I'm not the Messiah who comes into this world to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And they ask him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he makes it clear, I am not. You know, Jesus, though, said he was Elijah the prophet, the one who came as the forerunner, though John didn't at this point see himself as such. Then he was asked the question, are you the prophet? The one Moses referred to in Deuteronomy 18, 15, a mighty prophet who would come into the world and proclaim the greatness of God. And John responds to that, no. Now, interestingly, in Later places in the books in the Bible, particularly like in Acts 7 and other places, The prophet is referred to as Jesus. The prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18, 15 is Jesus himself. But John here clearly says, I am not the prophet. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So when asked who he is, John the baptizer quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Now, now how did he learn that verse, do you think? I can't help but wonder if Zechariah, his godly dad, and Elizabeth, his godly mom, sat him down when he was in his earliest stages of life and taught him God's word. Dear family members, Moments of Hope Church has staff to help you do what you're supposed to do as parents. Our youth pastor, for example, 
is not here to teach your children everything they need to know about Jesus so you hope they'll follow Jesus. Our youth pastor, Sean Sindler, is here to help you parents be able to teach your children how to follow Jesus. It is not our job to make your students, your children, totally devoted followers of Jesus. It's our job to teach you how to do that yourself. Elizabeth and Zechariah were the ones who taught John the Baptist all the things of righteousness, holiness, and uh, graciousness about the Lord. And we need to follow that example ourselves. Now look at verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. This contingency came from the Pharisees. In case you don't know, the Pharisees were the legal moralists of the day. They took the Ten Commandments and put another group of laws to try to enforce how to live out the Ten Commandments. They became 613 laws, and the Pharisees, a small sect of religionists in Jesus' day, dedicated themselves to trying to obey each one of those uh, 613 laws every single day, every single hour, every single minute. That was their job. So we see that this religious contingency was sent by the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Uh, Baptism was a special moment for Jews who went through repentance. And if John is doing it by the hundreds and thousands, they wanted to know by what authority are you doing it? Why are you doing it? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. They asked him, who are you? He said, you know, I'm just baptizing with water, but there's somebody who's gonna come and baptize with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna fill lives with his love, grace, mercy, and kindness. And this man who is in our midst, who is so great, I'm not worthy to tie or untie his sandals. That was the most menial task a servant would do in that day. And John the baptizer is saying, when I think of that one, the word made flesh, Jesus, my cousin, one whom I know and I really love, when I think about him, I'm not worthy to carry his suitcase. I'm not worthy to tie or untie his sandals. Uh, These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, That's not Bethany, the city where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived to the northeast of Jerusalem. This is across the Jordan, far to the east of Jerusalem. It's another town where all of these baptisms that John was doing was taking place. So the next day, John the baptizer, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. John knew who he was. They'd grown up together. They knew each other. He knew there was something very special about this Jesus. Undoubtedly, Mary shared the story of how Gabriel came to her and appeared to her with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth surely shared that with John the baptizer. He knew how special Jesus was, and there was something within his spirit that bore witness to the fact that he was the word sent into the world to go to the cross and have his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. The Lamb of God in Old Testament understanding was his blood, its blood shed on the Passover celebration and that blood of the lamb during the Passover would forgive the people of their sins until the next day of atonement, until the next Yom Kippur. And when John says, look at Jesus, he is the lamb of God, the one lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. His one sacrifice forever completes the gift of forgiveness. You're not gonna have to do it year in and year out. Behold, the lamb of God whose death on the cross will take away every single sin in this world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me and was before me. This man existed in all eternity. This Jesus was the word made flesh. This Jesus is God who came to earth to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, the Lamb of God. Look at him. He ranks before me. He's so much more important than I am. I'm not worthy to tie or untie his sandals. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I came to show who this Jesus was. In a way, he is hinting that he is Elijah, the forerunner who comes to give understanding to who Jesus is. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's very important that as he was baptizing Jesus, he saw the Spirit of God like a dove, not necessarily a dove, but like a dove descend on Jesus and not just descend, but remain on him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and then oftentimes be removed after they had completed a particular task. When Jesus is baptizing, uh, being baptized by John, it is the inauguration of his kingdom, of the work that he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit didn't just come upon him, he remained on him forever and ever. And here is the first mention in John, the first chapter of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus who is co-equal with God, co-existent with the Father, sending his son into the world. And when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And we see in other passages in Matthew and Mark where the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, he was ready to march into the world and perfectly obey everything the Father asked him to do and then die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He was well pleased with his son. The Father so loved the Son that he sent the Spirit to come upon him and remain on him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit not just with water. We do need to repent of our sins. There needs to be a forerunning for Jesus to enter our hearts. We need to confess our sins, be cleansed of our sins. They need to be burned away, washed away. But it's the Holy Spirit who comes into our heart in a clean heart, in a holy heart, who can dwell with us forever and ever. Now, at this point, some of you might be asking or your children might be asking you, well, well wait a second, if Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and baptism is the washing away of those sins, the outward sign of the inward reality of repentance and the forgiveness of our sins. Why did Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the second person of the Godhead, need to be baptized? And there are two reasons. First of all, when Jesus said, follow me, he meant follow me. And he went into the water, not because he needed it, but to say to us, we need it. You need to be baptized. You don't have to have it to be saved, but it is efficacious for you to be saved. When you go under that water, it's a moment you'll never forget when you die to self and come out of that water to new life. Jesus was saying to us, you need to go under the waters. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and your movement forward with me. 
Secondly, though, this was the inauguration of Jesus' advancement of the kingdom of God. And with this baptism that John was doing to hundreds of thousands, he's now passing the baton to Jesus. And through this baptism, he's saying, it's now your kingdom. It's not a kingdom of water baptism. It's a kingdom of Holy Spirit baptism. And in that water, that is the symbol of the new inauguration of the kingdom of God being passed on from John the Baptist to Jesus. John will later die in that prison cell. Jesus will continue his ministry. In fact, in the prison cell, John got depressed and even sent some of his disciples to Jesus and asked, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus said, go back and tell John. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and the good news of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. In other words, yes. And you're seeing the evidence of the kingdom of heaven coming in healings and in power and the kingdom advancing. But John is passing the baton to Jesus and water baptism was the way, the methodology, that inauguration of the new kingdom took place. And this is he with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. That's how this section of Scripture ends. John the Baptist saying to the religious leaders and to everyone, this is the Son of God. John's whole life was to point people to Jesus, dear friends. And if there's something we need to take home from this study of Scripture regarding who John is, it's our job as well is to point people to Jesus. We need to repent of our sins. We need to be washed clean. We need to turn our lives around and live holy, godly lives. But we also need to be empowered within by the Holy Spirit who calls us to a specific purpose just like he did Jesus and John. What's your call in life? What has God called you to do? How has Jesus entered your heart to empower you for the ministry he's called you to do? Find it. Do it, and I bet you all I have that a part of that is to share who Jesus is. Point people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you do so, folks, you're with John in his legacy and calling, and you're fulfilling yours as well. To Jesus alone and always belongs all the glory forever and ever. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a conversation about how God wants to be our Father in a personal relationship with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, You've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, We're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank 
you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also sit into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Thanks for staying with us. With me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, in your e-devotions, you've recently been writing about how God wants a very personal, intimate relationship with each of us. Even in the Lord's Prayer, we refer to Him as Father. So how is it possible for me and for us to relate to the Creator of the universe as our personal Father? Well, Jen, this is a special problem for those with bad dads or absent dads or no dads whatsoever, especially if they were abusive in any way. But what Jesus came to do was to show us who God really is. If you want to know the glory of who God is, look at Jesus. And he's the one who teaches us this idea of God as Father. But even before Jesus, hundreds of years beforehand, King David, in one of his Psalms, Psalm 89, 27, called God my father. So even then we had a hint of God not just being this transcendent deity so separated from us, but a loving personal father. Mm. But then Jesus takes it even farther than just God as my father. Or as you mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray like this, our father. Mm. So in the corporate body of Christ, all of us should know Jesus as our big brother and God as our father. But, but Jesus took it again further in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed to God, his father, he called him Abba. Daddy, which is a colloquial Aramaic expression in that day of intimacy between a child and his father. Jesus called the God of the universe, the first person of the Godhead, the son called his father, Daddy. So he gave us that insight that that's how we should pray as well. And then Paul in Romans 8 says that when we are born again, the spirit, the third person of the Godhead who lives within us is connected to our spirit. And he constantly says to us that God is Abba, Daddy. So when he prays for us, he tells us to pray with that same spirit of God as Abba, Daddy. So we get that message from Jesus. And when we do, we see God differently. He's not only just my father, he is my personal daddy. He's always present, always compassionate, always loving, always kind. And where our earthly fathers may have failed us, our eternal daddy will not. Even earthly daddies will fall short in comparison, though, to our heavenly daddy. And God is the only one who can be the perfect parent at all times. Why? Because original sin flaws us all. There's not a single person on the face of this earth who has not experienced some lack of being able to love, but the Father in heaven loves us 
just so much perfectly when we realize that we can have that love embedded in our hearts and know him as daddy. Unlike earthly fathers, our heavenly daddy is perfect. His love for us is always given to us. So he wants to give us good gifts, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, gifts far greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. So today, let's all of us just pause for a second. And when we pray, call God, my daddy. I love you so much, daddy, because you're a good and perfect father. You love me perfectly in every way, and you want to give me everything that's good in life. Where my earthly father has failed, you give me the glimpse of everything that you wanted my earthly father to be, but also the love you have for me in heaven. Oh, dear listeners, understand this today. Your father loves you perfectly, and therefore you can call him my daddy, and that perfect loving kindness has no end. It will last forever. What an unimaginable thought. God is my daddy. Wow, David. Thank you so much. If we could grasp it, Jim, we'd never be the same. Everyone realize it today. And if you'd like these daily e-blasts from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there, and you'll get an e-blast from me every morning in your inbox to give you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.